Take one. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is Tim Anderson, the appraiser's advocate, and we call this one today an interview with Craig Morley. Craig's a really interesting guy. He's state certified general in three states. He has offices in St. George, Utah and Las Vegas. He does work in Arizona as well. He's the president of the National Association of Appraisers. He's the chair this year of the National Association of Realtors Appraisal Section. He's a former member of the Utah State Appraisal Board. He's the former chair of the Utah State Appraisal Board, and he is the principal of the appraisal firm of Morley and McConkie. Now, Craig and I conducted a wide-ranging interview over many areas, and this is a summary of some of the areas that are particularly important to appraisers. We've spoken off the air uh, about various things, and one of the things that we indicated, or that you indicated to me, was sometimes you look at what's going on in the, in the mortgage lending community, you look at what's going on in the regulatory community, and you wonder how is it that we appraisers are going to remain relevant into the future? Would you care to give us your thoughts on that? You know, Tim, when I started appraising back in the 1980s, it was pre-licensing, and I recall at that time we were just seeing the rollout of the personal computers, and there were all kinds of predictions that the appraisers were going to become irrelevant as the computer became a more prominent tool in the valuation profession. And, and clearly, it has shaped and changed what we do and the way we do things, but the proliferation of technology is now beginning to have a material impact on what appraisers do and how they do it. And the fear that I have is in order for us to remain relevant as appraisers, we've got to bring a skill set that is better than what I can get from going to the proverbial black box. And so as appraisers, it becomes important for us to improve our skill set so that we're not doing the same old thing over and over again and find out that it's not as good as what I can get from some other source. Okay, let's focus in on some of this. You, you just indicated that it was important for us as appraisers to improve our skill set. What do you mean by that? Expand on that for us, please. Recently, I've had the opportunity to review a couple of appraisals that were completed in an area in which we provide regular appraisal services. And in reviewing these appraisals, it magnifies the problems that I think that exist within the residential mortgage lending and appraisal environment. The problem that we oftentimes see is people don't have a good way in developing their analysis to the comparable data. And sometimes the comparable data that is selected is really not all that comparable. And so we find ourselves in a situation where our clients see the appraisals that we're producing and that they don't believe the results, or at least they don't believe the process. And so in order for us to remain relevant in a more technologically advanced environment, we have got to learn how to use that technology as a tool and leverage our ability 
to be able to put that human face in, into the analysis so that we can do a better job. Okay, let me, let, let, let me play devil's advocate here for a minute, Craig. And you, you and I have spoken about this off the air, and you know where I stand on this, but let, let, let me play devil's advocate. Okay, so I'm a lender, and you're calling on me in your capacity as the chairman of Morley and McConkie, and you ask me for my business. And I say, well, Craig, you're a heck of a nice guy, and you know our kids are on the same soccer team, and we go to the same church, and blah, blah, blah. But Craig, you know, there's absolutely nothing that you and appraiser can provide to me that I can't get for an AVM, from an AVM. And the thing is, Craig, you want to charge me a whole lot of money for an appraisal and you want to take a couple of weeks, whereas I can punch in a, a few numbers into my computer and I can get a, a number from an AVM that is probably just as accurate as your number and I can get it for 25 bucks. Why in the world, Craig, should I hire you and pay you a whole lot of money when I can do the same thing a whole lot faster and a whole lot cheaper? And, and there are situations where that might be the better solution, depending upon the nature of the loan that the lender is going after. But the thing that I think sometimes as appraisers we forget, that lenders are not looking solely at the value of the property that they're using as collateral for the loan. Usually the loan is a three-pronged metric that they are trying to look at. The first is, what is the ability of my borrower to repay this loan? Do they have the income capability to make the loan payment? Second is, what's their history? Have they had a history of making their loan payments regularly or not? And then the third part is, is the value part. And it's the, what is this loan being securitized with? And how reliable is this as security if these guys, if these other two parts fail and I have to rely back to the collateral to satisfy the, the obligation, how good is it? And oftentimes the physical characteristics of the property and the how it fits within the context of the local market is more important than the value itself because oftentimes we will find properties that are in some of these areas where the property might have value, but it's in a market where we're declining or there's attributes associated with the property that make it a difficult property to sell or, or a higher risk property. And so it's really hard to get accurate information about the physical characteristics of the property and how it relates within the within that market and the areas that I think are oftentimes the most difficult to to quantify and, and measure is characteristics like view and quality and condition and some of those kinds of things that an AVM simply can't do a very good job with. Okay, so I get my number from an AVM and it's $350,000. And I get my number from you and it's $365,000. You know, there's, there's not that much difference. And I, as a, as a lender, you know, I'm obviously going to lend the least amount of money as possible in order to keep my risk as low as possible. So in, in your criteria, you set up three areas of which an appraisal has nothing to do with two of them, credit and or the qualification of, of the buyer from a standpoint of income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and a standpoint of the buyer to repay the loan, which have nothing to do with an appraisal. So why am I getting all excited about an appraisal for a whole lot of money when 67% 
of the equation of how I'm not going to lose any money if I make this loan has nothing to do with an appraisal. Help me out here. I, I, I don't understand what appraisers are selling. Well, you've got the 67% of the equation. The question is, is what? why should you hire me as an appraiser? Yeah, uh, exa- exactly. What, 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 what benefit, what, what brilliance, as it were, do you bring to me that I can't do myself? I, I have to do the credit check. I have to do the loan underwriting. And so I have to do all that. So I, I spend $25 on the AVM and get 350 and I spend a whole lot of money on you and get 360 uh, You know, who... What, what, what's the big deal? Uh, what benefit has the appraiser brought to me? The, the, the qualified competent appraiser is bringing more than just value. They're bringing a level of risk assessment associated with that property. Okay, now, now as a banker, you got my attention because now you're talking about risk. I'm listening now. And, and part of the, the 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 change that we're seeing with lenders is that in many cases, we're in a pretty good market right now. Property owners have equity in their properties. And there are certain circumstances where the value of the collateral is, is a very minimal part of the risk assessment for the property because they're borrowing a very small amount of money. And so how important is the collateral part of the overall risk equation? And it may be low. And when that's low, we would still like to be part of that process. But perhaps the scope of work that the, the lender needs in that particular situation is somewhat less involved. They'd like to make sure the house is still standing and it's still in reasonably good condition. And so that may be that they want more uh, information about the nature of the neighborhood and the nature of the improvements. And the value part of it is maybe not as big a deal. And, and so we have seen lenders coming in and asking for different kinds of valuation services. And we obviously as appraisers have kind of been resistant to do some of that because part of the problem is we don't understand what our clients' needs are. Okay, and I'll, so I'll, we've been I'm sorry, resi- go ahead. Go ahead. We, well, we've been resistant to provide those because we have been kind of program to use the Fannie Mae 1004 form. And so the scope of work associated with that now has become the baseline for most appraisers. And when they come in and say, you know, the value on this one is really not as big a deal. We don't, we, we want to get something that's maybe not as involved. Uh, and, and we've been, we've been reluctant to do that. And, and, and I think as we look to the future, the range of services that appraisers are willing to provide needs to be at least looked at. And there's some folks that are going to say, I just don't want to do anything that is not as involved as what I've done in the past, and that's fine. But you've got clients who want that, and if appraisers don't provide it, they're going to go someplace else to get it. Okay, now let, let, let me back up. I'm, I'm still playing devil's advocate here. Let me back up a little bit. You said that the appraiser has the ability to analyze the neighborhood, whereas the AVM is just crunching numbers. Okay, now, as a banker would look at that, the banker's saying, well, wait a minute. One of the things I need to know is if that neighborhood is somehow changing because that could affect the risk of making this loan a year or two or five years down the road. 
Is that something the appraiser offers that your typical black box AVM cannot? It is. And frankly, it's an area where as appraisers, we need to do a better job of understanding the significance of that part of the appraisal as we are reporting it to our client. Because far too often, and Tim, this is kind of a, years ago, we had an, uh, Utah would have a experience review process if you were trying to get licensed. And we had someone whose experience review had been declined. Now, this is a trainee working with a certified appraiser who has been certified for many years. And presumably, the certified appraiser is supervising all of the work. We noticed that this appraiser has done five appraisals in one day over a 300-mile distance. And what we had noticed is that in all of the appraisals, the comparable sales were all taken or all the photos were taken out of the MLS. There's nothing inherently wrong with that other than the appraiser had signed a certification saying they had physically inspected the subject property and, and, and drove by all of the comparable sales. And so the question comes to our mind as the board, what's the likelihood that this guy drove 300 miles and then went and drove and looked at all of the comparable sales in a broad range of communities? And what further raised our concern is the neighborhood description for every single property was exactly word for word the same. And that was from small rural communities to central Salt Lake. As we looked at that, we began to realize that this appraisal was not very good at conveying the true nature and the characteristics of that neighborhood. And far too often, appraisers kind of think that the neighborhood description is just some secondary thing that I got to fill out, but the value is the real issue. And so we don't spend the time and care that we should in describing the environment in which the subject property is located. Now, you raise an interesting point, Craig. You just said that the value might not be all that terribly important, which implies that what is important is the analysis, the analytics of the data behind the value opinion. Is that where we're going with this? It really is, Tim. And one of the interesting things that uh, you find, and, and, and I discovered this serving on the, uh, on the board, is that when a complaint is filed against an appraiser, your investigators and the appraisal board is not looking at the value. They're looking at wait, the wait, process. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now say that again. Yeah, the, the value is not the issue. It's the process. Did I follow standard one of USPAP? Did I develop this in accordance to the generally extend, uh, accepted principles and practices? And did I report my conclusions in accordance with standard two? If I've developed that properly, if I've used generally accepted principles and practices in, in developing it, the value is is really not the issue. And, and, and I can tell you from a actual experience that there have been a number of appraisers who have been sanctioned where the value was probably not that big of an issue. It was probably not that far off. But the process was so messed up that it resulted in, in sanctions because they had not followed the appropriate developmental and reporting standards within USPAP. So then what you're implying is, and, and correct me if I've got this totally wrong, what you're implying is that if somebody is going to follow standard one in developing the appraisal 
and then follow standard two in reporting the appraisal, then chances are the appraiser really isn't going to have a problem if somebody files a complaint. It is. Do I understand that correctly? That is the case. And, and usually it's always a pain when somebody's unhappy with our conclusions. But if I have a good quality work file, I've followed the standards in developing and reporting it. Uh, there's rarely situations where you will see any kind of a state sanction taken against that appraiser. Wow, that, that's absolutely fascinating because many appraisers uh, attempt to defend themselves against uh, state board charges by saying, well, for example, I remember reading something a number of years ago in a, a case I was consulting on. The uh, appraiser had a letter from the client. The client stated in that letter that it was utterly, completely, thoroughly happy with the uh, value conclusion the appraisal stated, but yet the state uh, still sanctioned the appraiser. So again, again, correct me if I've got this backwards, the value is not all that terribly important as opposed to the process of arriving at that value. Is that correct? If, if an appraiser follows the process properly and you properly select your comparable data, you properly analyze that data using generally accepted principles and practices for doing that, what drops out at the end is going to be a credible value. Now, you, you, you know, as appraisers, we always find situations where people don't like what that number looks like, but it's, it's a supportable number that is credible, and it is something that is pretty hard for state agency to take action against if we follow the process properly. Uh, Craig, that raises uh, the issue of a proper work file. In other words, if we do the work that we're supposed to do and we chronicle it properly in the work file, is that going to be a benefit to us if we get a complaint filed against us by a consumer? Absolutely. In fact, I think one of the myths that as appraisers we have is that we think the little manila folder that we drop all of our sheets of paper into it represents the sum total of our work file. If we're really doing what we probably ought to be doing, we ought to be documenting all of the different sources that we're relying on in developing that value and referencing it. And uh, with the ability of the electronics these days to create data and work files and with some of the really cool online tools and things that are out there, you don't even need to have a paperwork file. In fact, we don't, we, we don't use paperwork files anymore. We have everything saved electronically and it's easy as can be to drop everything in there, including flat maps and cost sources and all of those kinds of things that make it really easy to have a fairly extensive work file. And that then becomes a real protection if somebody challenges our conclusions. We've got something we can point to that supports all of the things that we've done in developing that opinion of value. So now I'm asking this question to a former chairman of the Utah State Board. So if a complaint comes in against an appraiser, and an appraiser files with the board an electronic file showing all the stuff that was in the work file. In other words, sends in no paper, just sends in a, a, a CD, as it were, with all the stuff burned to it. Is that sufficient to satisfy the requirements of the state, or in this case, at least the state of Utah? 
Yeah, right now that uh, it, it hasn't always been the case. So the state tends to be kind of slow in uh, getting up to speed with some of the technology. But at this point, it's actually easier for them to have that because disseminating that amongst board members or, or investigators is actually a little easier. My, my advice, though, in, in developing work files is organize them. You know, I, I can't tell you how many of these paper work files would be brought in and it was a sheaf of random papers thrown in there and you didn't have any idea there was no rhyme or reason to where it was at it kind of reminds me of some of the appraisals i see where you know the the data is scattered willy-nilly in there you got comments scattered throughout the thing to where it is just so hard to follow that i may have it in the work file but it becomes a devil to find out where it's at and and i think from a best practices perspective finding ways to organize and set this stuff up so that it follows some kind of a format and logic is always a really good idea because there's been more than a time or two where it was in the work file but it was so hard to find the investigators couldn't find it okay so craig what you're saying is that if an investigator gets a copy of a work file and everything's in there and it's easy to follow and it's easy to read that might persuade the investigator to recommend that the case go no further Whereas if the stuff is in there willy-nilly and it doesn't make any sense and the investigator can't read it, et cetera, et cetera, that may persuade the investigator to ask the board to go ahead and have a hearing. Does that make sense? That's been my experience. Oh, wow. There is a great recommendation right there for having a, a well-organized work file. Craig, another area in which you and I have spoken before, are appraisers providing to their clients what the clients are actually demanding? Or are appraisers just giving the clients the same old thing every time, hoping the client can glean something from what the appraiser turns in? Well, we would like to think that appraisers understand what our clients want and we're providing them with the relevant information that they, that they need to solve whatever value problem they have. Unfortunately, I fear too often with the advent of the residential appraisal report forms that we have become so accustomed to trying to fill out the form that we lose sight of what it is we're actually trying to provide for our clients. And oftentimes, and you and I have talked about this before, is that we have appraisers who think that their clients need one thing and, and that they provide something completely different than what they really want. Sometimes it's because they don't understand the, the client's requirements under the selling guide for Fannie Mae or for FHA or for VA. We, we are not as familiar with those requirements and with what those needs are. And because we're not, we oftentimes do things that are not in our best interest or in the interest of our clients. Let's talk about the, the elephant in the room, as it were. The client doesn't need a 75-page report on your typical single-family residence. So why is it that that's what appraisers typically provide to the client? You know, when we had the 
mortgage meltdown in 2007. And, and as Fannie Mae began to, you know, the secondary market, the GSEs began to evaluate appraisal work files, they began to realize there was a lot of anecdotal data. There was a lot of stuff put in there, but they didn't really understand what they were getting, first of all. And so they began to tighten up the standards. They create a, a data standard. And it was interesting, Fannie Mae came out and realized that there was almost no correlation between the sales price per square foot and the price per square foot that was being adjusted, that comparable sales were being adjusted for. So you're, you're, ref you're referring to Fannie Mae's lender letter 2015-02, is that correct? Yeah, that, that's right. You okay. Know. And, and over the years, I mean, I remember being back in the late 80s, early 90s, being at a, an FHA meeting where they said, well, you know, if, if you're adjusting more than $35 a square foot, we're going to have a we're going to have a problem. Well, back in those days, that wasn't, you know, most homes rarely sold for over 100 bucks a square foot. And, and it seems as though that became kind of a magic number. So we call ourselves forward to 2007. Fannie Mae does their analysis, and they find that most appraisers are adjusting square footage at $25 to $35 a square foot. And it doesn't matter whether the home's selling for $50 a square foot or $500 a square foot. So they come in and say, you know, we think we would like to see better analytics. We'd like to see better support for this. And appraisers are kind of struggling with that because too many appraisers have not been well-educated and trained on how to develop and support this. And we see all kinds of analytical tools out there. And my fear is far too often the appraisers using these tools simply don't know what they do and how they're doing them. And we are seeing some appraisers getting sanctioned by the state because they're plugging numbers in that they have no idea how they got there. Okay, Craig, if I may, let me ask you one more question. Now, given the fact that you're highly uh, tuned in to what's going on nationally in appraising, you're highly tuned in to what's going on in your own state when it comes to appraising. If you would be so kind as to put on your wizard's conical cap and try to peer into the future for 2020, what do you see changing? What do you see not changing? And when I say change, go ahead and prognosticate positively or prognosticate negatively. It's up to you. Go ahead. Well, I think that the future for appraisers is still relatively bright for those who are willing to increase their skill set and adapt to the demands and the needs of their clients. I think that the technologies that are emerging are going to make it so that the way that we appraise is going to change a little bit. I don't know if we're going to see the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac bifurcated process it be fully adopted in 2020, but I suspect eventually you're going to see more of that begin to take place. And so appraisers are going to need to become better at analyzing some of the things that the analytics, uh, the computers don't do a very good job with. And uh, what, what, if, what do you mean? What, what do you mean analytics that computers don't do a very good job with? You know, you know, years ago, I was asked 
to do an appraisal on a self-storage unit, and I'm looking at the layout on this thing, and you've got this cockeyed angle that I'm supposed to back a boat or a trailer into, and I call the client, and I go, you know, I don't see any possible way that a regular person is going to be able to back this boat or trailer or motorhome into this thing because it's on a cockeyed angle. They, they come back and said, well, the computer said you should be able to do it. And I said, well, as long as the computer's driving the car, then that's probably okay. But if my wife's driving the car, forget it. And, and I think that that's kind of what we run into here is that people buy property. And the motivations that people use to buy those is not always easily quantified in, an, in, in, a, in a pure analytics. So it's easy to measure square footage and age. It's really hard to measure view and condition and quality. As appraisers, I think we need to start refining our skill set so that we can provide the stuff that is sometimes more difficult to quantify in a pure analytical analysis so that we can help refine what those things are. If we can do that, then I think there will always be demand for us. But if we can't, then then I think it's uh, we'll, we'll probably be replaced by the uh, by the analytic you know the automated tools that are out there. So the the uh, uh, replacement by the um, the automated tools might come more in the cookie cutter end of appraising, but not in the more custom, more challenging end of appraising. Is that correct? That's right. You know, new new construction, there's always going to be demand for appraisers because there is no secondary data source that I can go to to get some of that information. When I'm dealing with custom homes or unique areas, it's hard to model that stuff. And I think the other area that appraisers need to be thinking is expanding the services that they can provide. If, if I have built my business solely around a lender type of a, a model, I, I, I am not going to have as much work to do as I've had in the past. And so I think... Okay, that, explain, explain that. What, what, what do you mean? Working well, and I, selling the, the, solely on a lender model, you're not going to have as much work in the future as you've had in the past. I, I think that the analytical tools for doing the cookie cutters, which, by the way, is the stuff I like to do. I mean, you know, I, I, I they're easy. They're kind of no-brainers. And because it's an easy no-brainer, they're easy to get done with some other form of uh, analytical tool. And so if that's what I've built my, my business around, I may find that as the technology continues to improve, the demand for my services for those property types is going to go down. Yet there is still a tremendous amount of demand for the independent qualified appraiser to provide valuation services outside of the lending environment. We still find the legal community has reservations about the use of some of the, you know, modeling that we see. And they, they want a qualified professional that can come and testify in court and do so competently. And usually you can make pretty good money doing that if, if I have a skill set and I develop that book of business. So what you're saying, if I understand correctly, is that, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with appraising houses. And in fact, that might be the appraiser's primary emphasis. The appraiser should also be looking perhaps at doing something else such as legal work or estate work or something like that. 
Yes, absolutely. In fact, one of the very best things that I have done, Tim, was is get actively involved in the local realtor association. I can't tell you how much work we get by referrals from agents where they've got either a hard property that they need to list and they want to get a third party to do that, or where one of their clients have a death in the family, or they've got a property where the parents have died and they need to list the property for sale, but one of the kids thinks it's worth way more than everybody else does, and they just want to get somebody involved that doesn't uh, have a stake in it. And there is a lot of work available for that kind of thing if we want to develop that as a business source. What qualifications, over and above the typical qualifications, must an appraiser have to transition into that kind of work? You need to understand the process well enough so that you're not solely reliant on a form. If I can get to a point where I can develop a narrative report that allows me the flexibility to address some of the issues that your clients have, that becomes such a benefit to you. And frankly, it allows you a little more flexibility on how you charge because it's not commoditized down to a couple of pages on a report form. So there are some some opportunities not only to expand your appraisal business, but then get out of the customary and reasonable fee box that limits so many residential appraisers. Is that correct? I think so. That's been my experience. It gives us a far broader range of services that we can provide at a much broader range of, uh, of, of fee schedule. And it allows you to be able to not be so tied to this cyclical roller coaster that we sometimes find based on the uh, rate levels, you know, mortgage rates go up and all of a sudden I don't have anything to do. And that's, that's never a fun situation to find yourself in. Craig, thank you for your time, your insight, and your wisdom. I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. I know I do. So that's it for another edition of The Appraiser's Advocate. I'm Tim Anderson. Thank you for tuning us in. If you need help with an appraisal, if you find yourself in trouble with the state, please give me a shout. You can reach me at Tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. It will be my pleasure to help you out. I look forward to it. Until then, again, thank you. Be safe, be well, hug your kids. It's a great day to be an appraiser. Thank you so much. We're clear.